All right, so I am not Michael. Uh, neither do I, uh, what's that? <laughs> no, neither do I intend to be. Uh, so Michael and I, uh, we get together and we do our sermon prep every single week and we preach on the same message, different campuses. So I'm at Carol Stream and he's here and he delivers it as the Lord leads him to and, and me, I deliver it in the way that God leads me to as well. And uh, we are both committed in several ways, very similarly, to preach the whole counsel of God. But there are three things that I refuse to do that Michael does all the time. So I wanna make sure that you know what you're in for this morning. And I've, I already told him several times, I refuse to do these three things. The first one, I will not tell any Canadian jokes at all. So if you're used to that, which I know that you are, putting Canada down there, you're not gonna hear that this morning. Number two, I will not continually pull out parallel passages from Song of Solomon. I will not do that, all right? And the third thing is, you will not hear from me ever, 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 is you will not hear me talk about footwear. So those are the three areas that Michael and I differ from largely and now that you know what you're in for, let's begin. You have probably heard it said that wherever you invest your treasure reveals your heart. I'd like to turn that around a little bit this morning as we explore Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He gets to this topic of treasures and hearts and where we put our investments. And I'd like to introduce a different thought for you this morning. Tweaking it just a little bit, Jesus turns this idea of instead of your treasures revealing where your heart is, Jesus says, what, do you, what you do forms your heart. What you do with your treasure forms what your heart will be. Your decisions don't just reveal your heart. Your decisions give direction to your heart and they begin to form something about who you are. Now, it's true that you've experienced this and I've experienced this in different areas of life, uh, in addictions that people have, addictions to alcohol, pornography, drugs. Um, if somebody's un, uh, not willing to forgive, if they're, if they're um, overcome with bitterness, these are things that occupy our time and they, and they occupy our, our hearts and they begin to form us into somebody that we never thought we would become. They, they, the, the, these things begin to do, dwell in our thoughts, our time are devoted to it, our emotions are devoted to it, and all of a sudden we realize how broken we are because of the time we spend devoted to these things that begin to form us into somebody we never thought we would become. These are demonstrative illustrations every day that we are fallen. And we think to ourselves a lot of times that we are even slaves to these emotions, these thoughts, these addictions. Jesus would disagree with this thought. In fact, this is the reason that Jesus came to this earth. He came to set us free. And those who are free, Jesus says, are free indeed. The decisions we make regarding the desires that we have change us over time. Our treasures transform our hearts. The good news is that Jesus gives us the power to redirect where our hearts will go by redirecting where our treasures actually go. In fact, Jesus would say where you invest on a regular basis will redirect what masters you or how your heart will develop. So let's start with the obvious question. What do you treasure? Jesus begins this, uh, this conversation, the Sermon on the Mount, 
In Matthew 6 and verse 19, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, this is where we're going to jump off. Uh, Jesus continues this conversation we've been having on the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth or rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. This passage of scripture, Jesus introduces to us this idea of not revealing, but pursuing. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> Read with me the first five, uh, six words here. Do not lay up for yourselves. And then later on he says, but lay up for yourselves. This is not a passive action. This is an active thing that Jesus requires for us to do. Actively lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is the antidote becoming a victim of your circumstances. Remember, Jesus is telling us to pursue the heavenly rewards. We've already talked about fasting and prayer and giving. We've already talked about those things. And as we do that, we increase our devotedness to God. It gives us a boost in our spiritual lives so that we can grow in an extra special way closer to God's heart. And now he turns to something that's a little more concrete, a little more tangible. He turns to our treasures. He moves to something that we can put our hands on. And he says, here's what I need you to do beyond giving, beyond fasting, and beyond prayer. You need to actively introduce into your life actions that invest things that are your treasure into the kingdom of God. And in this way, your heart will be transformed. It's also interesting that he does not start the conversation with money. Typically, we have a tendency to go right to the money part of things, and he does get there a little later, but he begins instead with the idea of treasure. Why is that? Because many of us treasure things that are not money. Things that we treasure are our treasures. Some people treasure their uh, Reader's Digest collection. Uh, you, can, you can treasure a lot of things in your life. And he doesn't necessarily talk about money. Why do I say that? You might say, well, Craig, he talks about money later on. Because he says, don't lay up for your treasures that can rust or moths can eat. In Jesus' day, coins, money, moths could not eat and they did not rust. Here's one illustration. Last year in May, uh, there was a hiker traveling along in, uh, in Israel, and as she was traveling along, she looked off into the distance and saw on the green grass a uh, a something glittering. She went over to find out what it was, and it was this coin right here. She found this coin that was dated from Jesus' day, sitting on top of the grass. So you're thinking to yourself, boy, I had a bit, wish I had been hiking in Israel that day, don't you? This is an illustration, though, of what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't necessarily talking about just money because he said, anything that's a treasure is anything that is important to your heart. It can even be rusted and it can even be eaten away by moths. This was not necessarily talking only about money. It can be a bunch of different things. How many of you have heard about Leona Helmsley? Does that name ring a bell with any of you? Leona Helmsley was crazy. And you may think to yourself... Well, Craig, that's an awfully judgmental thing to say. All right, let me see if I can bring you over to my side, all right? This little dog that Leona Helmsley had, Leona Helmsley, when she died, she was worth about $12 million, uh, which back when she died was worth a lot of money. Uh, was worth, $12 million was worth a lot. You're probably thinking to yourself, $12 million, that's not a lot. 
Okay, settle down. This dog, when she died, she designated all of her 12 million to go to her dog. She didn't give it to her grandchildren. She didn't give it to her children. She gave it to her dog. Here's how she wanted this dog to live. The dog already lived this way. She wanted to continue. After she died, she wanted to make sure that this dog was taken care of. So she designated 12,000 annually for dog food. She designated $8,000 annually for baths. The dog was buried in a mausoleum where she was right next to her. The mausoleum was worth $1.4 million. And every year she wanted the mausoleum steam cleaned at the price tag of $3 million. All right, do, did I bring you over to my side? Are you over? Yeah, she's in that job, right? Okay, so. <laughs> the point is, when Jesus is talking to this group of people in the Sermon on the Mount, he's literally talking to people who have nothing. These are not fat cats. He's not doing a fundraiser. He's not saying, okay, let's take an offering now and see how much we can get out of you. These people had nothing. They were dying. They were taking it, being taken advantage of by Rome. They had no health care. They had, they had nothing. And Jesus is talking to them. He has the goal to talk to them about their treasure. And they're probably sitting there listening to this thing and they'll say, I don't have a lot of treasure. I mean, talk about Leona. She's the nut job. Get it from her. But Jesus is saying, I'm not talking to you about money. I'm not talking to you about how much. It's not a matter of amount. It's a matter of what grabs your heart. What do you treasure? Treasure is anything that runs a risk of stealing our hearts. And Jesus wants that thing to be him. In fact, in the New Testament, later on, he would write in Colossians 2, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, get this, in whom are hid all the, what church? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The question is, what do I treasure now, and it doesn't have to be money, but it is something. Second question, where does your treasure lead you? This is where Jesus continues to go in verse 21 in Matthew 6. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This doesn't work the other way around. It doesn't say where your heart is, is where your treasure will be. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. This is beyond revealing in my own self. This is about not revealing, but redirecting. This is an active plea on Jesus' part to actively pursue Jesus Christ with my treasure. Lay up for myself, myself treasure in heaven. It's not about revealing my heart, it's about acting to redirect my heart by redirecting where my treasure is. God invites you to invest in activities that will form your heart to love heavenly things. When I was in college, I had a sweetie that I couldn't get my mind off of. Her name was Beth, and she was the most important thing to me, even more than my studies. She graduated, by the way, I married her, so just so you know. <laughs> I'm currently sleeping with her, so she is, uh, 
She is, she is the best thing that's ever happened to me. So, she graduated the year before I did. She moved to Virginia Beach. I was still in Tennessee, and I had no cash. I was a college kid. I was poor. And so I started thinking to myself, well, how in the world am I going to get to keep this relationship going? Because she's in Virginia, and I'm in, uh, I'm in Tennessee, and she could find somebody else over there, and i got to keep it going. So how do I do that? I need gas for my car. I had no money for gas for my car, so I started thinking of all my options to fill my car up with gas. And I found out that there was this great program where you could sell your blood and you could get money and I could use it for gas. And so I thought, oh, fantastic. So I got a bunch of my friends together and we went down to this blood drive and they were giving out like 25 bucks for, for not blood, plasma. I found out when I got there, it's plasma. So we went into this big gymnasium. They had uh, all of these gurneys on wheels and they put us on one of these multiple gurneys and I, I waited there and, and already I'd never given blood before so I was a little anxious about it. I, I wasn't quite sure what the whole thing involved and they came over to me and they said, no, 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 we're not gonna take your blood. We're gonna take your plasma. I said, do whatever you want, take whatever you want. But what I didn't understand is that when they take plasma, they actually take your blood out, they spin it around, drip the plasma out, and then put the blood back in. Then I started getting nervous. The more I thought about that, the more I thought, something about this is not right. How can they take out the blood out of me, take something valuable out of it, and then put it back? They're giving me junk to put back in, right? There's something wrong, something missing, deficient out of what they're putting back into me. The more I thought about it, the more clammy my skin got, the more sweaty I got, and I couldn't stop thinking. And there was a movie and it was supposed to get your mind off things, but all I could think about was this little machine that was worrying this plasma out and then putting the blood back in me. By the time they came over to unhook me, and I was so grateful when they finally showed up, they came over to unhook me, I was a mess. My shirt was all wet, I was all sweaty, I was clammy. And, uh, and they said, you're, it looks like you're all done. I was going, no, thank God, okay, get it out. So they took it out. There's a girl beside me, a girl that we had, uh, it was a friend of mine that she got put in the gurney beside me. And uh, she was a girl, you got that, right? So she's sitting next to me and they said, okay, when you feel like you can sit up and dangle your feet, just go ahead, just put the little, little dab on, your, on yourself and you'll be, you'll be fine. So, so I was laying there talking to my friend and we were talking and then all of a sudden she sits up and dangles her feet. And I think, well, she's been here as long as I have, and I'm, you know, I'm still sweating. My clothes are all clammy. She, but, but she's a girl, so certainly I can sit up because I'm a man. So, so I turned over. Yeah, now you hate me, right? I can't wait to get Michael back. Um, so I turned around. I dangled my feet. And the next thing I knew, I was on the floor. This was a gymnasium floor, no carpet, gymnasium floor. Blood was all over the place. I had a guy sitting on my back, holding me down on my back. I had another guy with his arm around my head, holding my head, who was trying to stop me from slamming my face on the floor, splattering blood everywhere. The girl that I was just talking to, she was over in the corner. She was just crying, crying her eyes out, scared to death. Everybody's looking at me, still hooked up to the machine, looking at me on the floor. And I had broken my nose on the, on the, floor, of the, the floor of the gymnasium. What had happened was I, I passed out. I, I was dangling my feet and apparently this girl was stronger than I was because she didn't pass out. I fell right into her and because the gurneys were on rollers, as I fell into her, they started falling apart like this. And so when I fell, I hit on the ground and as I started getting, I don't know, whatever, I went into convulsions and slamming my head on the floor and broke my nose. But everything's fine now. So I... Uh, <laughs> 
So I went to the hospital, I got myself all fixed up, and I'm supposed to go see Beth the next day. And I was not deterred, so they put my nose into what it needed to be. I got an ice pack, and I drove from Tennessee to Chattanooga, uh, from, from uh, Chattanooga to Virginia Beach to be greeted by my future wife, who opened the door and saw me. I got bruises all over my face. I got an ice pack going, good to see you, sweetie. <laughs> and she still married me, so that's pretty good, right? <clears throat> What you value is what, what you put your treasure toward is, is what you ultimately value. It forms your heart. My stuff in life will always lead me to invest in my greatest treasure. And I was willing to spend anything that I had, even my own plasma, in order to invest in my relationship with Beth. And I'm glad that I did. It paid off. Even though treasures are not always bad, we, they run the risk of taking our hearts away from God. They run the risk of pulling us away from the ultimate treasure, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, he says, listen, this idea of treasure, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is dark, how great is that darkness? Our eye pulls us toward what we treasure. We invest in what our ultimate treasure will be. And it is our eye that reveals what we're attracted to. If your eye pulls you toward any other treasure, rather than the treasure becoming more like Jesus Christ, then you will not run a good race. You are after things that moths eat and rust destroys and thieves can break in and steal. This does not mean that I should remain satisfied with where I am and not get a better education and not seek to go up in my job ranking or strive to provide better for my family. It's not what this means. All of those things are good, but if my desire for more overwhelms my desire for him, then I can easily be distracted and I can run a bad race. Even to the point where I become dissatisfied with everything, including God himself. I don't know if you know these people, but there are people in this world that are simply unsatisfied with the stuff that they have, so they're unsatisfied with the God who created them. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out of this world. And if my heart gets off track on this, the dangers of int are intense Paul goes on to say in verse nine, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And if my desires get so off key to the point where I value treasures that can fade over the treasure that is Jesus Christ, I can be plunged into a world of pain where I'm chasing my own tail and never satisfied. Which brings us to the next question. How are my treasures transforming me? Paul goes on to say to Timothy in verse 10, a verse that you're probably familiar with. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice that it says all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. But the love of money will lead you into all kinds of evil. For instance, if I were to offer you $1,000 to lie to hurt somebody close to you, would you do it? If I were to offer you $1,000 to key your neighbor's car, but assure you you could get away with it, would you do it? 
If I were to offer you $1,000 to bear false witness in court or to lie on a test, cheat, would you do it? Now, you might be here thinking to yourself, Craig, no, of course not. Of course I would never do that. All right. What if I offered you 100000 If I offered you 100000 would you lie to hurt somebody you love? Would you cheat on a test? Would you lie in court? Would you key your neighbor's car? I mean, what if I offered you a million? What is your price? Because if the price of your integrity has a price tag, then your treasures are in the wrong place. Paul, uh, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. I wonder if they offered, if they started the bidding at 30. I wonder if he would have done it for 25, 20. How about three? All we know is that he was willing to sell his soul for 30 pieces of silver. And I wonder sometimes what my own price tag would be. It's not a sin to have things. That's not what we're talking about. The eighth commandment says, do not steal. That's assuming you got something to steal. God is not angry with us if you're rich. He's not angry with you if you have things. All of us, to be honest with you, are far richer than most of the world combined. It's not about the stuff you have. It's about what's the, if the stuff has you. This is about making treasures out of your stuff. And my treasures, unfortunately, have the power to transform my heart. Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and here you have it, the word money. Jesus is saying, because for a lot of us it is money, but it could be anything, anything that you would claim as your treasure. Jesus is saying that our, tra- our craving for treasures can master us. Paul goes on to say to Timothy in the same passage, we, we love the start of that verse, but I wonder how many of us know the end of that verse. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. What about what you love? Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But here's how the verse actually ends. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pains. You pierce yourself through with pains in order to get whatever you deem to be a treasure. You might even do it where it causes you to wander away from the faith. We have a word for that today, a phrase for that today. We would say, where you're willing to sell your own soul. Without actively moving your treasures into the kingdom of God, we bear the temptation to make those treasures our idols. We continue to place our own souls at risk. Let me tell you how insidious this is. It creeps up on you when you least expect it. It challenges you in an instant and you're brought face to face with the integrity of who you really are. When I drove for Uber, I would drive late at night and I would have a clientele that largely, they were were lucky if they got home. And uh, they would get into my car and they'd usually be fairly inebriated at that point. This one particular night, I had a ton of people just driving people over and over and over again. I'd stop and pick somebody up right away and just keep moving. By the end of the evening, uh, I'm getting ready to go home, and I look between the seats in my front seat, and there's a phone there. It's a smartphone. It was a nice phone. 
during that time in my life, I didn't have a regular income. And so I'm thinking to myself, this could, I could sell this on eBay. I could, I could make a pretty penny on this. This might be the Lord providing for me by having this phone suddenly appear. And it's amazing how, how quickly that thought crept into my head because it reveals my heart. So what I, I picked up the phone, I looked and tried, and it was unlocked, fortunately. I found the number of the guys who it belonged to. I called him, and I ended up meeting him somewhere and, and getting his phone back to him. That was just an illustration to me, and I'm a preacher of the gospel. How quickly those thoughts can creep into your head. It's insidious. How quickly our hearts remind us that we need to be masters on this subject. It's not about the master you serve. I'm sorry, it is about the master you serve. It's not about whatever master you love more, you will serve more. Jesus is not saying whatever master you love more will form who you serve more. What he is saying is whatever master you serve more forms who you will love more. This is an active, intentional act on my behalf to use whatever I value as treasure here to invest in the kingdom of God so that I can constantly retrain and redirect my heart to put Christ first. Because you end up loving that which you serve. Say that one more time. You end up loving that which you serve. Whatever master you serve will form who you love more. Where you put your treasure will determine who you love. Jesus says it this way, your heart will be also. We have a tendency to mock the Old Testament Hebrews for falling prey to idol worship. We think to ourselves how silly it is to actually have like an, an, a piece of wood that you put on your mantle or Rachel hid one under her, her uh, saddle on her, on her horse. You remember that story? They, they had these idols that they carried around with them and they were willing to do anything for these idols. These idols, they worshiped these idols and God was constantly telling them, get rid of those idols, get rid of those idols. And we look at them and we think to ourselves, how silly it would be to worship something that you can carry around. And then we think to ourselves, how often we carry around our own idols in our purses. Sometimes we even sit on them. We carry around anything, anything that we end up serving is defined as our idol. And if you're willing to sell out your soul to a buck, you've identified your idol. I need to retrain my thoughts on this subject. And Jesus invites me to do that and to form a deeper love for him by engaging in activities that redirect my heart. Activities that redirect my investments so that it redirects my heart. Now, the good news about this is when I do that, my money and my treasures, whatever category that would be for you or for me, whatever that is, those treasures can be redirected so that other people can worship God more. The way I use my treasures can influence somebody else to love God more. This is a principle all the way through scripture. Here's a great verse on that, 2 Corinthians 9:11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When you invest your treasures into kingdom stuff, into kingdom principles, into growing 
and investing in what God is doing in the world around you, you are bringing people into a category of worshipers. If they benefit from your investment, you have used your idols, your treasure, you have used your treasures to help other people love and serve God more. God can help me. He can change my desires, but I must first start by submitting to his plans. I must make my life about investing in his kingdom first. And please remember, this has not come down to amounts. This has nothing to do with the amounts we have. It comes down to to where we invest what we do have. It's the principle of good stewardship. And Jesus says we can redirect our hearts by redirecting our treasures, no matter what they are or how much we actually have. This is about behavior leading emotions, not the other way around. A good illustration for this is when somebody first goes on a diet and you talk to them, they're miserable, right? They're unhappy. Why are you so 